Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7, continuing through our series, What Lies Ahead. We're in the book of Philippians. We're looking right now at what I want to call the pathway of peace. Paul says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are here. We ask now that you would make us aware of your presence in a deep and profound way so that your word would fall on soft soil and take root and bear fruit, even 30, 60, and 100-fold. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A while back, I got into the most heated exchange uh, with a four-year-old. My... I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but it's very hard and tricky. Um, it was partly my fault, uh, probably all of my fault, but for whatever, you know, no scorekeeping here, we were in the middle of a very heated exchange. I don't even know how it came about, but it got to that point where just things escalated. We were like uh, just intense conversation called uh, crying and uh, a little bit of yelling. And I remember her just, just, just screaming at the top of her lungs that something was wrong. And at the moment, I, I had a headache, and she was screaming right in my ear, and I just could feel the anxiety in my heart just begin to simmer, you know, when a kid is just like, or an adult, <laughs> screaming at your face, and they won't stop. And I just remember, like, that trigger. That, you know what I'm talking about, the trigger? I just couldn't, I couldn't deal with it. And I just snapped, and I was like, just, just stop yelling stop just stop crying and she looks at me tears just roll crocodile tears rolling down her face and I'll never forget her response I can't (laughs) she's just crying and screaming at the top of her lungs I can't dad and in that moment I don't know if it was just her sweet little face with the tears or the conviction of the Holy Spirit but I just my heart softened. I felt bad. And I was like, yeah, I guess you can't, <laughs> can you? She was like, hyperventilate. You know that type of cry? Like, <laughs> and the Lord came upon me and I, I calmed down and became a less anxious presence. And uh, within minutes, uh, I was apologizing and we were laughing, uh, but I'll never forget her response to my command. I can't, Dad. You ever feel like this when uh, you see a command in Scripture? We're running into a few today, right? Like, rejoice at all times, but I can't. Do not be anxious, but I am. It's not like I can turn that off. Can you just turn your anxiety off? Can you just rejoice at all times? Like in the middle of a, your worst, the worst day of your life, can you just turn on the smiles? 
these imperatives in scripture, especially when we read them by themselves, can be very daunting at times, right? Unless we actually feel that way. Like if you're already having a great day, rejoicing might come very easy for you uh, because we're already happy. But it's, it's different when we're, we're suffering. It's different when we're, we're going through a difficult time in life. It's different even uh, when... Uh, the things that we see in scripture are not, they don't seem congruous with our feelings. So we see these commands in scripture and uh, we might be able to receive them when we're reading the scriptures ourselves. It'd be even better if God was personally in the seat ahead of us and we could see him and he was telling us this stuff. Generally, I don't know if this is your experience, but generally speaking, my experience is that these commands get told to me by people. And usually in like the worst situation possible, right? Have you ever experienced that? Just like you're angry at something that's happened in your life? Well, rejoice in the Lord, brother! Or someone really wrongs you and you're just like, just deeply upset and someone's like, well, forget, walk in love. <laughs> Forgive your enemies, turn the other cheek. Forgive them. You know what Jesus said, 70 times 70. FYI, that's 490 times, just, just so you know. And you're like, just leave me alone. Or when you're grieving or going through a difficulty and, and someone, you know, with the best intentions in the world, maybe just spout scripture that is incongruous with the way that you feel. Or maybe you went through a very difficult situation and you hear some passage like, well, God works all things together for the good of those who love him. You're like, but it's not good. What are we to do with these commands? They feel so, they feel so arbitrary and so callous when we read them by themselves. And I think perhaps that's where our difficulty lies is that we tend to read commands in scripture by themselves. We read the imperatives. Don't do this or do that. Don't be anxious. Rejoice all the time. Be reasonable with everybody, as we see in the, the passage ahead of us. And the problem with that is that imperatives or commands alone don't have the ability to change you. Imperatives by themselves are merely an exercise in willpower. And let's just face it, when you are worrying about something, you don't have that much willpower to deal with it. When you're deeply grieving, you don't have the necessary willpower to just put on a smiley face. The beauty about God's commands, though, is that they never come alone. God's commands, his imperatives, are almost always attached to indicatives, we could say. You remember English class indicatives? If an imperative is a command, a directive, is something that you're supposed to do, an indicative is something that's already true. It is your given reality. In scripture, it's often something true about God or something that God says is true about you. And we always see this pattern in scripture over and over, and we're gonna see it in a few minutes, that when God tells us to do something, he doesn't tell us to do uh, certain things arbitrarily or with a callous spirit or even separated from anything else. He always tells us uh, based on something that is already true about us. 
That's why we love to go through whole books of the Bible. We don't just want to see the commands. We want to see the liberation out of which those commands are rooted in. And these commands, do not be anxious and rejoice all the time, are rooted in some deeply profound truths about you and me. Let's just revisit some of the ones that we've seen in Philippians. Philippians is not a book about mere willpower. Philippians is about being filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus, chapter one, verse 11. It's about God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure, chapter two, verse 13. It's about holding fast to the word of life, chapter two, 16. It's about worshiping by the spirit of God, chapter three. It's about being found in him, It's about the power of his resurrection, verse 10. It's about the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, verse 13. It's about the uh, the love of Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body, chapter three, verse 20. It's about the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself, verse 21. And we haven't even gotten there yet, but later we're going to see that it's, uh, that it's the, uh, uh, the ability to do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Because everything is available to you based on his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Hence, chapter one, verse six, the promise that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. This is not a book about willpower. God works in your will to will and to work for his good pleasure. But this is not merely about us pulling ourselves up by the bootstrap. This is about the spirit of God in union with our spirit, changing us from the inside out and causing us to walk in his ways. This is a supernatural religion. This is a supernatural endeavor. And it's out of all of that that God tells us, here is a great way for you to live your life. I want you to step into what I have already made possible for you by virtue of my kingdom. You can do all that God says when God's life is flowing out of you. This is what Jesus meant when he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is like, and you, like, you're reading that going like, That's, are you kidding? Is that sarcasm? Because you're telling me stuff like, love your enemies. That's not easy. But when Christ is in you, overflowing, and changing you from the heart level, working outward, things like that that would normally be impossible by natural means become easy for the Christian. And so out of that, you can do all all that he says when his life is flowing out of you. What Paul does is he gives two elements of God's life, joy and peace. Joy and peace. Look at verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Where's the command there? Rejoice. Where's the true indicative statement about you? In the Lord. There's that phrase that we've been talking about for weeks. It's kind of that shorthand phrase for your union with Christ. The fact that he is in you and you are in him personally interacting with one another. In Colossians chapter one, we're told that our life is, uh, that Christ uh, uh, is in us, the hope of glory. And in Colossians chapter three, we're told that we are in Christ, hidden with Christ in God. 
He is in us, we are in him, personally interacting with one another. And so whenever we say in the Lord, we're talking about that personal interaction. Paul isn't saying, hey, rejoice in your circumstances. Rejoice because you're happy. Rejoice because I keep telling you to do that and you need to muster up the amount of willpower necessary for that. No, he's saying rejoice in Christ. Rejoice out of the resources that are already available to you based on your Lord. Notice that joy is not the same as mere happiness. Because Paul isn't saying, be happy. Sometimes we're not happy. Paul wasn't always happy. Paul had sharp disagreements. He experienced anguish of soul. He was upset. And yet he had joy. You can be joyful and sad at the same time. Because sadness and happiness are emotions, right, that are generally dictated by our circumstances. What is joy? Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It's not an emotion. Joy is a supernatural resource from heaven that starts on our innermost being and that overflows from inside to outside. That's why you could read the Psalms where the psalmists are just cursing everything and yet they're maintaining their joy. You know what joy really is? Joy is delight in God for God. Joy is a delight that comes sheerly because God is who he is and that's enough. You can experience that even when everything around you is failing, even when people around you are failing, you can experience deep, everlasting joy. You know why this is a good thing? Is because for the person who can experience joy and can rejoice in the Lord, it means your well-being isn't dependent on your circumstances. It's easy, right, to be happy when things are going well. It's far more impressive to be happy when things are going terribly. But this is what the kingdom of God promises to you. You don't have to, you, you're, you don't have to suffer mood swings based on the externals that are outside of your control. You can experience, as Jesus said, the person who believes in me, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. You can have that. In fact, it's already available to you in Christ Jesus. Second thing that Paul talks about is peace. These are the two elements of the life of God. If we can experience these things, we can do anything that God says. Now, if you want to know what peace is, start with the opposite of peace, anxiety. That's what Paul talks about in a second. And I just want you to take just a few seconds and think about that thing that makes you anxious. You know what I'm talking about when I'm speaking about anxiety? I don't mean being careful or cautious. I mean that thing that when you think about it, you start to get shortness of breath. Your heartbeat accelerates a little bit. You know that feeling? You carry tension in your neck or in your shoulders. You tense up. What is that thing in your life that when it comes into your mind, you get anxious? I want you to think about that for a second. What is it for you? I don't know what it is, but I'm willing to bet that what 
many of us have in common with those things that bring us anxiety is that there's some element of a loss of control. I'm generally anxious when something is out of my control. Is that true for you as well? It could be a relationship that has gone awry that you can't control. It could be a job situation that you desperately want but are not getting. A job that you desperately want to keep but are about to lose. It's often finances. It could be health. Things that fall outside of the realm of our control. When, they, when those things begin to get stirred up, anxiety starts to well up in our hearts. Listen to what, what Paul says here uh, in verse 6. Excuse me, verse uh, 6. Do not be anxious about anything. But Paul, I am. I can't stop. Then he brings us into those indicatives. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, Paul, once again, brings us into a personally interactive relationship with the Lord. Notice that nowhere does Paul say, you're suffering from anxiety, your life is out of control, well, let me help you bring it under your control. He says, let me bring you into the presence of God where you can speak to him about it. And if you can just interact on a regular basis with this God who loves you, you will experience, you might not get the specific answer that you're looking for, you might not get back control, you might not get that thing that you desperately want, but here's what I can promise you. In the presence of God will come peace. A peace, listen to this, a peace that surpasses understanding. You know what peace is? If joy is delight in God for God, we can call peace internal confidence in God. So you're not just delighting in who he is, you've seen who he is and you're absolutely confident that he's got things in his, in his control. So you don't need any control. God has enough control and you know that he's good enough, you know that he's good towards you, you know that he's merciful and that he's compassionate and he'll never let you down. And even though your circumstances might not look the way that you want them to, you have absolute trust and dependence on that God. That's peace. Peace is the ability to go through anything because your confidence is not in your circumstances or in your control of them, but it is in God who is always in control. That's a hard thing to turn on, though, unless you know this God. Turn with me to, uh, keep your finger here, but turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, because here, Jesus himself gives us a glimpse into the life of his Father with some of the same things, and he gives us reasons for why we can trust a God like this. This is uh, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Speaking to a crowd, most of them have little control over their lives. And he says in verse 25, and just read that whole paragraph, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Command. 
but Jesus, I can't. I'm anxious. Here comes the indicative. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? There it is. But God, I have no control over my life. I have perfect reason to be anxious. But are you not of more value than the birds? The very birds that God does take care of? Verse 27, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, how they uh, neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. See what Jesus is trying to impress in, uh, upon the hearts of anxious people? He's taking things that nobody cares about. Sparrows, in that day you could buy for pennies. And grass that's grown one day and the next day is tossed into the furnace. Worthless. And yet God's attention to detail even cares for those things. Even the birds of the air have everything that they need for that day. And Jesus turns around and says, if God takes care of grass and birds, how much more will he care for you, the man, the woman, the person that he so deeply values, made in his image by his own heartbeat, he loves you so much, will he not care for you? Jesus right here is trying to tap into the heart of our heavenly father. For those of us perhaps that have not had fathers that, that were good or that were caring or who were present, he's giving us a, a recalibration of what a good dad is supposed to be like. And he waves in our faces, this is what your heavenly father is like. He's watching over you. He's present with you. He's not ignoring you. You might say, well, I, actually, I feel like the birds get more attention than I do. Sometimes Christians do go hungry. Sometimes Christians don't have what they need. And yet the heart behind what Jesus is saying is God has not abandoned you. He is present with you and he cares for you and he's gonna be with you and out of that, if you'll tap into that, you can experience peace. Again, Jesus is not saying here are all the things that you need to do in order to seek control over your life. Again, he's bringing us back to a personal interaction with our heavenly father. Paul does the same thing. How does he do it? He tells us, instead of being anxious, why don't you talk to God? Prayer. And then as you're talking, why don't you just be honest and ask him for the things that you need? Supplication. And while you're asking for some of those things that you need, remember his faithfulness in your life thanksgiving 
and remain in the presence of God, personally interacting with him, even in difficult situations. And as you get used to who he is, by personal interaction, abiding in him, you will sense his presence, you will believe in his faithfulness, and the peace that you could never understand by natural means will begin to guard your heart and your mind in Christ. And you will become the type of person who doesn't melt down when difficulties come. You see what Paul is doing? He's not giving us a list of things to control. He's not even giving us behavior modification. He's trying to tap into our interior life, joy and peace. He's going straight to the root saying, if you just get into the presence of God on a continual basis and talk to him like you would talk to anybody else, He will interact with you and you will experience the Father's heart. God right now is attempting to shape your interior life to withstand anything that comes your way. He's not necessarily giving you the reins of control or that one detailed specific thing that you really want right now. He may, he may not. But one thing we can count on, he is shaping your interior life to receive joy and peace so that you can withstand anything that comes your way. This is what Paul will say later in chapter four. I can do all things through Christ. I've learned the secret of contentment. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now I want you to imagine for a second, and I'll wrap this up in a a minute, that if you are in this place, living out of joy and peace, able to withstand anything even unpleasant that comes your way. What might that look like in your life? I imagine that you would be able to interact with people without seeking your own self-gain because that's not a thing that moves you anymore. That you would have the ability to consider other people without any reference to yourself because your joy and your peace are not contingent upon you getting your way. I think this is why Paul slips in there in verse five, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. You know what reasonableness is? The NLT translates it as considerate. The NIV calls it gentleness. King James Version calls it moderation. Uh, The ASV calls it forbearance. My favorite is the message. It says, you're on their side. You have such a posture and such an attitude that the person across from you feels like you are for them more than you're for yourself. Reasonableness. You're interacting with people in such a way that you don't care if you get your way. You're all about that person getting their way. That's hard. It's hard for me. I like my way. James, using this word reasonableness, he, he calls it gentle. He said in James chapter uh, 3, verse 17, the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. This is beautiful. Willing to yield to others. If I can paraphrase what Paul is telling us to walk in when he says be reasonable, we can call it this. We can say we are able to completely detach from our own self-interests and desires to be present for other people. You're no longer clinging 
with control to the things that you want. It's just not that important to you. People are actually important to you. Now, notice this isn't something that you just try to manage by willpower. This isn't like, well, I'll give you your way, but I'm going to make a fuss about it for the next 70 days. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll defer to you, but you're going to pay for it. I'll get mine later. I'll make passive-aggressive remarks and sarcastic comments, and I'll just jab you here and there for the next 20 years. You'll pay for it. I'll be nice to you, but you'll pay. This is not what Paul is talking about. He's speaking of... <laughs> For all of you that were writing that down, okay. (laughs) Paul, Jesus, the other apostles, they're speaking about a heart that has been liberated to actually desire that. That's the true freedom here. So you're not just trying to love your enemies even though you hate them. We're talking about an actual love that is projected authentically towards your enemies. This is supernatural. We're not talking about biting your upper lip while trying to do good for people that you don't really think deserve it. We're talking about you being so completely detached from the things that you want that the other person becomes more important to you than yourself. It seems like in the flow of Paul's argument, this cannot happen by mere willpower. It has to come through the supernatural fruit of the Spirit, like joy and peace. And those things can only be cultivated through a personally interactive relationship with your Heavenly Father. Do you spend time with God? I want to tell you to do that, not out of obligation or guilt or shame or because you're supposed to, but why wouldn't you? If all of the resources of heaven, including the love of God, is available to you simply by personal interaction, oh gosh, what am I doing with my life? This is the only way that we can experience what Paul says back in chapter 2, verse 2 through 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This only comes through an abiding life in Christ out of which grow the fruit of joy and peace. Are you abiding in Jesus? Last week we spoke about abiding as as simply relying in, leaning on, and trusting in Jesus perpetually. I want to take that a little bit deeper and give you something concrete to practice. Same thing, but here's a way to do that. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up and lead us in this time but before, the, before we sing, I want us to just take a moment of silence together to do what Paul tells us to do. He leads us in the pathway of peace. And let's just do exactly what he tells us to do when he speaks about prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. Before we do that, we, we gotta know what we're praying for. So take whatever that, that anxiety, that root of anxiety was in your life, and bring it before your mind. Healing doesn't come from suppressing our emotions. It comes from allowing our emotions to be identified and giving them over to God. In fact, Peter would say, cast your anxieties on God because he cares for you. What is your source of anxiety this morning? I want you to face it. Begin to invite the Lord into that place of anxiety.
and just let him be with you. In that place, you can do the next thing that Paul says. You can just ask him for specific help, whatever it is. It's nothing too big or too small to ask. This is your heavenly dad. Gave the world for you. Loves you eternally, without measure, unparalleled, unadulterated, unabashed. Unique fatherly love waiting to be lavished upon the laps of his sons and his daughters. I think the difficulty, well, I know the difficulty lies not with the father who is longing to lavish, but sometimes with his children who don't even know what's waiting for them. This is your moment to open up and to receive all that God has for you. In that place of anxiety, let him fill those corners and offer those things to him and ask him for specific help. Lastly, Paul says, with thanksgiving. With every prayer we ask of the Lord, with every difficulty, we remember how he's been faithful. So in your mind, pick out one thing. One way that God has shown up in your life and say, thank you, Lord. I knew you were present. And let his past reputation be your future assurance. Stay in this place and turn our eyes to a God who cares and loves and continue to ask and to press in as we sing.